Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Welcome back to Candidate Confessional, the podcast that everybody, and by everybody I mean my immediate family, is listening to. I'm Sam Stein. And I'm Jason Cherkis. And Jason, on this episode, I want to ask a question. How do you leave the thing that you love? How do you retire gracefully? Are you trying to tell me something, Sam? I'm No, I'm not. I'm talking about people like Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Brett Favre, you know, athletes that played well past their prime and had trouble leaving the stage. It's easy to see why, because work can become an obsession, and it can really form who we are as people, our identities. Exactly. And who wants to retire to early bird specials in the corporate lecture circuit? Well, those early bird specials aren't so bad, but that brings us to this week's episode. Stuffed French toast. It's delicious. <laughs> Back to this week's episode. We talked to a Washington legend who came out of retirement to run for president in 2012. One, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. His heyday was 20 years ago in 94. Exactly. He led the Republican takeover of the House of Representatives after 40 years in the wilderness. And at the time, he came to define conservatism. I mean, he had the contract with America. Exactly. And he also did budget battles with Bill Clinton. He led the impeachment hearings with Monica Lewinsky. And then it all went away. He was the victim of an insurrection in his own party. He had his own ethical issues. And he spent his retirement kind of as this, like, talking head figure. He authored a number of books, probably all of which are on your conservative uncle's bookshelf. Or the remainder table at your bargain bookstore. <laughs> One or the other. Now, through his time of office, there was always these murmurings that he would run for president. And in 2012, he finally made the plunge. And it was just as incredible as everyone predicted. Gingrich, this outsized personality forced into a world where everything is sort of meticulously scripted. A political virtuoso who was often his own worst enemy. He proved how hard it is to come out of retirement and run for president. And in short, it was equal parts train wreck and a work of art. Beyond the bluster. Behind the bunting. Past the posters. After the ads. The campaign picks up. And the motorcade moves on. What happens when the votes are counted? And democracy doesn't go your way. This is Candidate Confessional, a HuffPost podcast. I'm Sam Stunn. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm Sam Stunn. And I'm Jason Cherkis. And we approve this podcast. I think it's fair to charitably say that uh, your campaign didn't start off the way you wanted it to start off. There was a few bumps in the road early on. I I think it's fair to say that we took a huge detour, ran into a brick wall, and (laughs) fell into a swamp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and specifically, there was the criticism of the Paul Ryan Medicare plan. There was the Tiffany's issue, uh, the expense account. And I'm wondering, as this was happening... 
did you feel like you were rusty politically? You hadn't run for election in a little while. No, I was surprised at the difference in intensity level because having been Speaker of the House in a pretty intense period, um, I was used to that part of it. There, there were there were two different components, though. I mean, one was the internal problems and in that we really wanted to run something close to what Sanders is running now. We wanted to run an Internet-based, idea-oriented, you know, totally new model campaign. And we brought in to think about it a group of people who were old model professionals who were very good at what they do. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. And so we spent at least five months just colliding and not getting anything done. And that would, so internally we had that problem. Uh, externally you talked about two totally different things, which, which, which partly were probably – one of them at least was a failure on my part to understand context because it, it should have been fairly easy to turn to um, – to Bob and say to him, you know, I love my wife and I like being able to get her something nice and I work really hard. What's the beef? Yeah. And it just didn't, you know, I was, I was operating a level below that. Who's Bob here? Uh, Bob Schieffer. Okay. Because he's, he's the one who kept saying, gee, I can't understand this. And I, just, I should have just turned and said, look, you know, I have a very good income and I, wanted to, I like my wife a whole lot and I want to buy her something nice. What's your problem? Did the, did the question surprise you? <clears throat> it did. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where you thought, how could this be? You know, They're talking about like I mean, Tiffany. I mean, you're running against you're running against Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one with the Rom- car. Elevator. Romney doesn't have a credit line of credit because he just buys with, with cash. And then the thing I said uh, about uh, Ryan, if you'll notice, uh, where I was surprised there was how much Ryan had become iconic yeah. on the right, and therefore to touch him was to get into a big brawl. Yeah. Uh, the fact was, I was right, and if you look at the bill he introduced with Wyden three or four months later. It took into account all of my objections. And he, he called me and said, uh, I'm now introducing this bill. Can you say something nice about it? <laughs> you were like, well, <laughs> do you remember what happened during the campaign? Maybe I want to Maybe you want to say again. something nice about me. Oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was fine. It seems like um, the reason I ask about the rust is because the campaign became about these sort of moments, right? Like yeah. you would touch something, it would blow up. You would have something else happen. It would become a moment. One of those was you got glitter bombed. I mean, gl- yeah. by glitter bomb, I want to just lay it out. You were doing a book signing, and someone came and just dumped a box of glitter on you, yes. uh, advocating gay marriage. That that must have been really insane to have happen. No. to you. what was it like? Now, look, I've I've spent my whole career in public life, and and I used to do town hall meetings uh, when when uh, when Sasha Baron Cohen used to do this. this oh, yeah, this, that's right. This BBC show. We actually did the show. Wagwan Evertonari. I is here with my main man, his name be Newt Gingrich, and him was the leader of the House of Representatives. So, you know, Ali G comes in, and it was obvious in about two sentences that this is, you know, <laughs> and Tyler wants to stop it. And I said, no, no, it's fine. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's on YouTube, and you know, uh-huh. it's yeah, had yeah. several million views. And, you know, and I was totally relaxed. Well, one of my former district directors said to me, she knew exactly what I did. I went into the, the mode I used when I did town hall meetings and somebody who was nutty would show up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole, you know, you develop a rhythm and a sound. So getting glitter bond is part of a free society. What's, what, 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 is, what is the mode you enter when that happens? Um, What's the internal mindset? The internal mindset is you create a gap between you and the other person psychically and you allow them to live out what they need. 
Okay. <laughs> and you wait for the audience to get tired of them, and then the audience shuts them down. Okay. You, you never shut them down. Yeah, you don't challenge the glitter bomber. Yeah. He does right. You, you don't throw the glitter back at the Yeah. No, and that would be yeah. terrible. You, you just relax <laughs> and you realize everybody else around you thinks this person's an idiot. That's something that you constantly or, or consistently throughout the campaign brought up, your sort of surprise or displeasure at the media for trivializing every little moment into this big thing. And I'm wondering if that was something, too, that you were surprised at, something that had changed over time since you had camp- campaign last sort of hit I think the cycle had gotten faster and the coverage may have gotten somewhat dumber. Um, I mean, I, I describe, for example, Trump as the natural candidate for the Kardashian era. Yeah. Uh, because we've gotten into this, and I tweet a lot. I mean, we have a million, six hundred thousand followers. You're prolific. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but, but it's so, it, you know, it comes and it goes. I mean, you know, the best of all tweets are instantaneous and disappear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that's a, you know, or, or you, you know, you do Instagram or you do whatever you do. Well, place your place your trip to the Greek islands in that context. You you went there to recharge the batteries, basically. Okay, but I also, I also did it as a deliberate act of defiance. Really? Sure. How so? Why? Well, f- partially for my own professional consultants and partially for the whole nature of campaigning. You know, I wanted time to actually think. I actually – many years ago, we had this reporter at the Washington Post who came up to me one day, and he was complaining. It was like – February or March, and we just and he said, "I came back to cover the Conservative Opportunity Society, and you guys have done nothing for the last two months." And I said, "Yeah," <laughs> and he said, "Well, I'm, I'm really disappointed." And I said, "Well, you know, we've been planning." He said, "Planning? That doesn't count." <laughs> so part of my view was, what if you were healthy, and you decided you would go take ten days off? And you would go look at the Greek crisis. You'd go and look at Turkey. You'd come back home with a deeper perspective. Uh, you know, now, if I had organized a 10-country a trip where I rushed in to a press event, rushed out, people would have said, oh, Gingrich is being appropriately president. Fact-finding mission. Fact-finding yeah. mission. Yes. But, I, but I'm happy to cheerfully say to people, look, you know, I, I give fairly substantive talks because I actually learn substance. Was the act of defiance? Was the act of defiance, as you call it, that you knew it would not play well domestically? It was my way of saying to the, the professional consultants who had spent three months trying to tell me I had to become their candidate. Yeah. That I actually had in the back of my head a rhythm and a pattern, and I was going to I was going to run my campaign. And if they would like to be part of my campaign, that'd be terrific. <laughs> but I had no interest in being part of their campaign. What was the comp- What did they tell you? What do they want you to do? They wanted me to be quiet, raise a lot of money, and let them run ads. And, and they, they had no understanding of the scale of the Internet we wanted to use. Um, and some of these, by the way, are very smart people. They're not stupid people. But, for example, their idea of using the Internet was a very directed model where it was aimed, you know, let's find out who the NRA members are and we'll send them a gun message. Mm-hmm. My idea of using the Internet was to figure out ways to cause noise and to have interesting ideas and to try to get people engaged. And, and uh, we still do this. I mean, we do, uh, for example, Facebook uh, Q&As mm-hmm. that – Regularly get thousands of viewers. Do they also have a want to say in your in you know your message and how and how you how you presented yourself and the kind of yeah to, to some extent. But but part of the difference was, and and we didn't pull it off because in the end they may they may have been right strategically in the sense uh, in the sense that if I'd understood fully what I was up against with Romney, the correct answer was to not run, because there was no possibility. Unless I could create an insurgency, and this is where Trump and Sanders are interesting, unless I could create an insurgency, there was no possibility of competing inside the regular party against Romney. 
And that's why I kept trying to say to them. I mean, me going around to see millionaires who know Mitt Romney, invested with Mitt Romney, like the way he sounds like a business leader, and trying to raise money against him is crazy. It did, won't happen. Did you try that? And they said, hey. Well, I talked to a bunch of, of, of very close personal friends who just said, you know, I, I really love you, but after all, I'm from Mitt. So you, know? you, need to, you need to be the outsider candidate. Right. Yeah. yeah. When you got back from Greece, that's when part of my French shit really hit the fan, it felt like. Actually, actually the, last day <laughs> we were, the last day we were in Greece, they basically called and said, you know, we need to have a meeting. Either you need to become our candidate or all, all of us are leaving. Well, they ruined your, vic- they ruined your time no, in Greece. No, no, no. That meant it, was, it was perfect timing because we were refreshed. We were renewed. And on the way to the airport, Calista and I discussed it. And she said, you know, and to her credit, she said, look, we're staying in the race. They can do what they need to. So what was the meeting like? Um, we met briefly, and I said, I understand that you're not comfortable with me as a candidate, and there's no possibility of my becoming the candidate you want. So I appreciate it. It's fine. And all of them left. Uh, and then we called a, a meeting two hours later of our original team who had been with me for years, and uh, they all said, well, we're glad that's over with because those people <laughs> – they said, they, all, they said to me at that point, those people all said to us, don't do any of the things we do. And within 48 hours, we were moving at a rhythm totally. If, if we'd had that rhythm for the preciding five months, we probably still couldn't have beaten Met. But, but it would have been, been a much more fun you, race. You described yourself in that moment as Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. You were the only one who didn't know you were dead at that moment. That's what they, that's, that was their view. That was their view, not your right. view. Okay. No. Did you, you never thought about leaving the campaign ever? Yeah, we had we had a we were in a car on the way to the airport in Istanbul, and I said, okay, this is what they're going to do. Yeah. What do you think? And Callista said, "Well, I think they leave and we stay." No, that she said, "We're not getting out of this race." Did crazy? you have any? Did you have doubts though? No, not at that. No, but no, but but part of that's because I'm a high wire artist. I mean, you know, if you if you if you, <laughs> that's if you such a if, good term. Well, I mean, if, if you if you run for Congress in the middle of Watergate in Georgia, as a Republican, then you arrive in Congress and before you're even sworn in, you say, "Why don't we have a plan to become a majority?" And you spend 16 years doing that. Then you take the incumbent president of the United States head-to-head and say, we're going to balance the budget whether you like it or not. You know, it's, there aren't many things that worry me. I mean, my dad, my dad retired after 27 years in the infantry as a, as a lieutenant colonel. So my attitude is every cool thing I've ever done has been sort of a gift. And why complain? Well, that's, that's funny. I, it's a really good point, which is you were uncomfortable with the conventional path. And people, you know, your reputation is that – you like the drama. You want to roll the dice sometimes. Sure. And I think the insurgency campaign fit you in that respect. Right. Okay. Look, I'm Scots and Irish. <laughs> I mean, Robert, my father's name is Robert Bruce. My, my grandson's name is Robert Bruce. I mean, you know, Robert the Bruce yeah. ends up, you know, in a cave watching a spider weave. And fight. it takes him 17 years to win independence. It yeah. took me 16 years to create a majority. So you're the modern-day Robert the Bruce. I'm, well, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm very comfortable being an insurgent. I'm very comfortable so saying, how do you change? Well, then how do you set about running and By the way, insurgent? I'm very uncomfortable being bored. Comeback starts, right? You're at the, you're I guess. at the bottom, and you start coming. <laughs> when did you know it was kind of clicking a little bit? Was when there did, one moment? Or did it ever think, feel like it was clicking? Well, I mean, part of it is, uh, this may sound goofy, I'm really a happy warrior. 
Yeah. I, I, I tell people, the best way to understand me is I'm a four-year-old who gets up every morning knowing that there are cookies. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where the cookies what are. What kind of cookies? They may that, be yeah. in the refrigerator. They may No, this is pre-computer. Okay. They may be in the refrigerator. <laughs> they may be on the stove. They may be in the kitchen or whatever. But I know there are cookies. So I'm, I spend all day happily chasing cookies. I mean, this is my, my, na- my natural life. So, and, I, and I like campaigning. I like people. Yeah. I, I, love, I love Iowa. Calista went to Luther. We had lots of friends in Iowa. And we were having a ball. And in fact, it was very weird. Because the week that I got in this whole fight over Ryan, the crowds in Iowa were terrific. Yeah. And we were doing very, very well. We had big turnouts, but we were getting our brains beaten out in the national media. And for, for two full days, there was this dissonance in my own head between what I was experiencing out there and what was happening. But was there, but was there ever a point as you got closer to the caucus and then the primary that you were like, you know, I'm making up some ground? Or was it just that the other people in the race kept – you know, tripping Screw, up, screwing up. Oh no, I think we we're. I think we were gaining ground, and okay. I think this is what, one of the ironic things watching the current debates. I mean, the debates were clearly the key to my survival. Exactly, and 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 it was also the key to some people not surviving. I mean, Pawlenty's inability. The, I mean, the two great yeah. examples are Pawlenty being given a chance by John King to face down Romney and, and freezing, and then and then Rick not being able to remember the, whatever the third department was. Which, in his case, was, I think, entirely a function of Percocet and having had back surgery. They, they should not have gotten him in the race. And Rick and I had talked earlier in the year, and I'd said, you know, if you want to run, I won't. And he said, no, no, I don't want to run. I want you to run. So, I mean, we were – so his endorsing me in South Carolina was sort of coming full circle. And, and some of the guys who were with me left me to go talk Rick into running, which was really a disservice. to I mean, Perry's a much, much better person than that episode implied. So those two are good examples. The other part was, and I don't quite know how to explain it. Um, you know, I mean, Romney has an enormous ability to organize, and he has a, had a huge financial network, which he had earned. I mean, his father's experience, his own experience. Uh, I could never compete in that world, but I had really spent a long time learning how to be effective in in a speech or debate setting. So that was my world. You know, I mean, he, he had his world over here. I had my world over here, and I was very comfortable the longer we went on. That we were doing, you know, that we were getting better and better at that, uh, and and I think with a few breaks we might have done even better than we did. Well, let's talk about one of those settings. I mean, the most the most glorious for you, I would say, would probably be the one with John King. Nope, the most glorious occurred earlier at Myrtle Beach. That was with Juan Williams. It was a defensive work. All right, tell the story. Well, I mean, what what was astonishing? I can't remember how, what, how Juan phrased it, but Juan basically made created a classic liberal position that you know. Uh, you can't really expect people to do work. You know, it's, it's the old "how can you work at McDonald's" routine. Uh, and I gave a very strong defense of the work ethic and the importance of work. And it was weird because the, the Myrtle Beach was probably the largest debate in, in numbers, and so you had like three thousand people in this auditorium. And all of a sudden, starting at the very back, you begin getting this standing ovation. And if you see it on TV, it comes down. Like a, like it's a wave, and learn someday to own the job. Okay. When we come back, you get overwhelmed. You have the, the sense of one. You know you're resonating. Um, you know, and and by the way, it explains the. Con- 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. First, explain some of Trump's anger of these last two debates, because getting booed is really unpopular. I mean, you, you don't like... You, you, it's much nicer to have a standing ovation. Could it also be bewildering in a way, because the moment leaves you, you, you're excited that you got cheers, but there's always going to be another question or somebody no, else. No, no, that's irrelevant. No, it doesn't matter. Look, my theory of debating is you want to hit one or two home runs a night. You don't want to try to hit 16. So if I know, and the first one, candidly, was, was uh, uh, the, the very first debate, which I think was at Ames, uh, because I hit Chris Wallace. And it was, a, it was a perfect setup because Brett Baer had said, now we don't want any of these gotcha things and we're going to be serious. And then Wallace promptly asked a gotcha question. So I read back what Baer had said. Mm-hmm. Well, the next morning, I'm, we're in O'Hare changing planes, and this airline pilot comes to me and says, I am so glad you did that last night. Did that and I began to realize that there's this whole market that, and this, again, is, is, is the Trump environment. There's this whole market on the right that says, I am so sick of these people, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad you stood up to them. And but, okay, th- I point. have to then ask, because the John King one, which I, I wasn't as good as the one William won in your estimation. It, it wasn't as satisfying, but it was actually unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I mean, the audience went crazy. And in, in I need to set it up for the listener. Essentially what had happened was a, an ABC News story had come out about your first marriage. Right. Okay. And it, he raised... second marriage. Or second marriage, sorry. And he raised the story in the circumstances around your second marriage and, and when he left your wife... At the very beginning of the debate. The very first question. The very first question. And you teed off. People to run for public office. And I am appalled that you would begin a presidential debate on a topic like that. In 1995, um, the morning that I was going to become the first Republican speaker in 40 years, CBS broke the story that my mother had told Connie Chung that I thought Hillary Clinton was a bitch. And when you read, when you actually saw it on video, you have Connie Chung leaning over saying, this is just between you and me. So here you have this 70-something-year-old woman who's being befriended by this nice person mm-hmm. and who is being promised this is just between you and me. And when I heard it that morning, first of all, I was embarrassed for my mother. 
because here she is, her son's about to become Speaker of the House, and this comes out, okay? Second, I, my father, who had been in Vietnam and hated the news media, had bent over backwards and actually baked a, an upside-down cake for Connie Chung and was just so personally betrayed. And so I started from there. I mean, you know, do I, do I think there are reporters who will deliberately be sleazy, vicious, personal, and do so in, the, in, in a manner designed to maximize damage? Sure. So I spend, I go into every interview, including this one, thinking, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I have no That's idea what you guys, point. how much research you've done or what you might raise. We know everything. And, 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 my, and my job is to be very relaxed and then to rely on speed rather than preparation. You're intuiting the audience. It's like being a jazz musician. And so you and the audience are in the same zone. And that's what happened to John King, is that the audience decided instantaneously they were with me, and therefore they were against him. I mean, it's almost a zen. You, you relax totally. You absorb the question. You feel the audience environment. And then you intuit what you should say. You're but you're also sort of describing the way comedians talk about the room and understanding the room and the dynamics. Yeah, one of the books that shaped my, my high school years was The Funny Men by Steve Allen, which is a great history of comedians. How did it shape you? Uh, because of learning different styles of comedy and different ways of thinking about comedy. And exactly your point. I mean, if you're vaudeville, uh, and I, I, I've always had the vaudeville rule that this is the, no matter how small the audience, it's the only show they paid for. And therefore, you owe them 100%. Okay. But in vaudeville, you can do a shtick for 25 years. On radio and then television, you ate it up in one night. I am curious about the debates, that you, if you've watched the Republican debates, and, and if you thought if anybody is doing well as, as you have in the debates. or no. I, I tell everybody, I could not imagine how I'd run this year. It's, it's, these, these debates are totally different. Partially, I, I said to Bill O'Reilly one night, you need to understand that Trump this is, is the grizzly bear in the revenue. Oh, I know you're a tough guy, Jeb. And, it's, and we need to have a leader that is real tough. You're never going to be president of the United States tough, by insulting Jeb, yeah? your way to well, the let's presidency. Let's see, I'm at 42 and you're at 3, so Doesn't so matter. far I'm doing better. Doesn't matter. So far I'm doing better. You know, you started off over here, Jeb. You're moving over further and further. Pretty soon you're going to be off the end. When you hit him, he devours you. He can't help himself. And so... He creates an environment unlike anything I've ever seen. And uh, so, what would you do if? You yeah, what would stage? you? Yeah. I'd say, beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't wouldn't if you're running against Trump have to at some point attack him? Right. I mean, isn't that the issue? Is that they've waited? That's why too I'm long? not running against Trump. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you come out of South Carolina, uh, you know, you obviously had an incredible win there, and you head into Florida, and I think it's fair to say that you will now go down in, his, uh, in history as the first victim of a super PAC yep. in a presidential election. What, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool? Yeah. I can't imagine it was cool. Huh. It must have been painful. Yeah. How was well, it cool? It was just, 
Well, you just said it. <laughs> you're a, you're a historical anecdote. anecdote. Yeah, 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 like, That's right. Okay, yeah. fine. I mean, I'll always be a little anecdote. Remember, I'm a historian. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, always yeah. be this little footnote in these books. Now, I mean, there, there, there are two parts to that, by the way. One is that we were just in, we were just in an overmatch. We, we were a mid-sized college team in the Super Bowl. And so in that sense, we, we were in trouble. But the other was there was this article in the New York Times, I think two or three days after South Carolina, where they quote a Romney conference call on Sunday morning where one of his folks says, if you do not eviscerate Gingrich, he's going to be the nominee. Now, I have been a very tough person my whole life, and I don't mind being tough. Eviscerate's really strong. And when I look back, I mean, the fact that they ran a commercial saying I favored the Chinese one-child policy because I would voted for, I think, the IMF or the World Bank, uh, or they, they took one article critiquing Reagan and said I was an anti-Reagan Republican by a guy who, by the way, had refused to endorse Reagan in 84. I mean, there's a certain zone there. And I think, actually, I got too tired, and I, and I don't think I handled the two debates in Florida very well. Was it because you were under that barrage? It was probably under the barrage in, in, in a sense of being bewildered. And also, they set up some people who I thought were personal friends of mine. I mean, at one point, you have Connie Mack, Jr., and, and uh, uh, Mary Bono at the back of one of my crowds saying vicious things about me. And those are both people. I mean, I, I, Connie Mack's father is one of my closest friends, and Mary Bono I'd helped after Sonny died. And you just, you just thought, you know, I mean, this is a level of viciousness that is just goofy. When, when did you know that Florida was going to turn out as badly as it did? Oh, we knew within a couple of days of getting down there because you, you just you saw nine anti-Gingrich ads an hour. Newt has a ton of baggage, like the fact that Gingrich was fined $300,000 for ethics violations. And there was nothing he could do, right? Right. In, in, in those debates, it did seem like Romney had started to learn from you. He had gotten way more aggressive um, and started to take you seriously, and he yeah. came prepared. But, I, mean, I, think that, I think that's fair. And, yeah. I, and I couldn't figure out... This was not a new problem. And I had said to our core team in uh, mid-December that if you're dealing with somebody who has the scale of resources he has and who is as willing to lie as he is, if you don't figure out a way to make him radioactive, he will be the nominee. And we couldn't figure out a way to make him radioactive. You did dabble a tiny bit in those vain attacks before yeah. dialing it back. Yeah. Did you recognize that it was yeah, not going to It just doesn't work. work. It, was, it was counterintuitive. Plus... The other thing was people were so desperate to beat Obama in our party that they really flinched if you t- picked on Mitt because they thought Mitt was probably going to be the nominee. And so they really wanted Mitt to be propped up because, after all, you know, he, he may be the only hope we have. So was there c- competing pressures with either, within your campaign or to your campaign to lay off him in certain ways or to – I mean, what were the, yeah, some of the ideas? I mean, just, you just said I – because mean, you could feel it in the audiences, I mean – and you, had to, and you could feel it in the commentary and what have you. Do you think you ever could have gotten to a position where you could have beat Mitt? Potentially, yeah. But on, on the Sanders model of, of just getting enough grassroots support, we, we were right at the early stages of being able to do enough Internet, enough YouTube, you know, that you could actually uh, do an amazing amount without having a traditional operation. So fair I mean, to say... It's, it's grown enormously well, since six years. Well, since fair to say that you wanted years. to build a Bernie Sanders campaign in Absolutely. 2012. And, and uh, we th- were fascinated by uh, what... It, I, I, was, I was very intrigued by, uh, by uh, Matt Bai's book, The Argument, and, and the whole rise of, of uh, the uh, 
organizations on the left, move on, et cetera. I was very intrigued with how Howard Dean built that first wave in 2004 uh, and thought there was a lot, there were a lot of opportunities to start building that kind of thing. And it fits some stuff we had done. We, we used to have, back when we were doing uh, C-SPAN in the 80s, um, there were a group in um, eastern Iowa, I think in Waterloo, there were a group of women who would watch us on C-SPAN and then get together and talk about it. And they were Republican women, you know. And they particularly loved Bob Walker. And one of our great stories was one time Jack Kemp is down in Puerto Rico, and this woman runs up to him and she says, aren't you in Congress? And he says, yes, yes I am. She says, do you know Bob Walker? <laughs> wow. And Kemp comes back laughing and saying, you know, I'm thinking she's going to be all about me. She said, no. And she, and then she said to him, we watch Bob Walker every week. For the record, well, Jack Kemp was a football star. That's right. You know, famous. <laughs> and, and the most famous House Republican of his And generation. Bob Walker was kind of a dorky wonk. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife, Bob's a very close friend of mine. <laughs> my wife said he's sort of like the teapot if you watch him on, on, uh, <laughs> on the floor of the house. And he gave lots of floor speeches. So we got a, a T-shirt that said, I know... Bob Walker, <laughs> and we gave it to Kemp. That's awesome. Uh, but but my, my the point I'm making is, you you could see the nascent the beginnings of an ability to network outside the the, the traditional systems. Yeah, but I mean you could see that with what you're talking about with C-SPAN, with how Dean built his campaign largely from outside of the media as an insurgent, and right. then the way. How do you think Sanders is improving on all those models? Because he seems to have... Well, the, de- I mean, the Democrats are are still at least a half generation ahead of us in, in, in the internal understanding of all this stuff. Um, and they represent, they represent the segments of society that, that are the largest users of the Internet. So, so there's a much larger bias in favor of them being able to do that. Uh, and then he represents the true faith. And that's always, I mean, the advantage you always have on the right and left is if you're of the true faith, you build a level of energy. Now, historically, what's happened is the establishment could overmuscle you. But when, when, when Sanders said the other night, I, I, which I loved, um, at, and on the New Hampshire primary in his victory speech, he said, you know, Hillary's running off to Wall Street to raise some more money. I would like to do a fundraiser right now. Will all of you go and give $27 at, you know, BernieSanders.com? Thank you. That was our fundraiser. Now let me go back to, you know, raise $3 million in 24 yeah. hours. I have we been able to do that, yeah, then, that we, was then we would have kept Romney on Yeah, on and, and his speech wasn't really a victory speech. It was a campaign fundraising yes. speech, and he knew it. He, yes. he saw that moment. Yeah, I, I would incredible. say that they were substantially more developed than I was in how to do this. what we tried to do, which may have struck you as a little bit strange, is, and then, because I remember now, I campaigned starting in 74. Yeah. Okay. And then I worked for 16 years to create a majority. Then I was speaker for four years. I mean, and then we created American Solutions, and, you know, so we've been doing this stuff for a long time. And it's, I once called Gaylord and was whining, and I said, you know, I feel like I'm spending my life. And he said, no, this is your life. If you don't want this to be your life, you better pick something else to do. But you're not spending your life. This is your life. All right, quick break here. Newt is referring to Joe Gaylord, his longtime advisor who didn't end up joining the 2012 campaign because of health reasons. All right, back to the show. 
And I think part of what we tried to do is on, is on a regular basis find something that amused me. Because if I, we went to the San Diego Zoo recently, for example. Uh, Good zoo. Yeah, it's a great zoo. And, and uh, last uh, Valentine's Day, my wife actually gave me a night at the museum in New York. I went to the American Museum with her and well, that's spent awesome. the night. Yeah. But so, you know, if you go to the St. Louis Zoo, which is a great zoo, uh, and was, uh, was Marlon Perkins' zoo. Uh, after he he was he was in Chicago and did Zoo Parade, and then he went down there and did Wild Kingdom. Um, two or three or four hours of forgetting everything else and hanging out with animals and talking to people who understand them and all that rejuvenates me for a week. Did you have to let off steam in Florida when when like it was going poorly or pressure? No, did you? No, no because I I had known from. Uh, Mid December on that we were that we were fighting a game against somebody who was both was both enthusiastically dishonest and had enormous resources and literally I spent time talking to Gaylord and others and trying to figure out if you couldn't make him radioactive he was going to win and so well, I'm curious as to like after when that's, you that's won. a little bit like playing out a poker hand where you where you figure out you're not going to win it you know. When did you realize? I mean, you won South Carolina, so you must have been somewhat optimistic. Or, I, I thought we had a real shot, and, and it was the combination of the news story describing the level of ruthlessness they were ready to engage in and the scale of resources. When, when we got to Florida and realized they had been on TV for three weeks attacking me. So what's, what's the biggest lesson you take from your race for president? It's extraordinary to be an American. It's extraordinary to be able to do this you you don't strike me as someone who you know there's certain people who really feel like they have to be president and if they fall short of that goal they probably are upset are you one of those I have people to be a, no i have to be a citizen and i offered a particular version of citizenship and the country said no it's country's prerogative you know but but it helps i mean i mean it helps to have been the first republican speaker in 40 years the house of representatives our new speaker the gentleman from georgia newt gingrich You know, it helps to have done the contract and to have done welfare reform and balanced the budget. It allows me to be sort of, you know, you know I'm, I'm still today the longest-serving teacher in the senior military. I talk to teach one- and two-star generals. Uh, so I have lots of stuff. As, as Christine can tell you, we, have, we stay busy every day. We don't, and we you're, have, the, you're the first victim of a super PAC, too. That's, which... that's right. See, and another asterisk. <laughs> so someday when we list all the different things Newt Gingrich will be, you know, smashed by super PAC for first time. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, right. thank you very thank much. Great I hope this was useful. That was former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich on his beautiful, tragic, Shakespearean 2012 run for the White House. Thank you very much to the Speaker and his staff who were very accommodating in our interview when we did it out in his office in Arlington, Virginia. A huge thanks, as always, to our fearless editor, Christine Canetta, who makes this look good, I hope. As always, you can find Candidate Confessional at iTunes and on thehuffingtonpost.com. Please subscribe to our podcast, go there, review and rate it, and then, you know, when you're done with that, tell your friends to do the same. Next week, you're not going to want to miss this guest, a man named Andre Domiz. Now, who is that, you ask? Andre Domiz holds the distinction of having lost to Rob Ford, the crack-smoking mayor of Toronto. We ask him how he was able to actually lose that race. Till next time, dear listener, happy trails.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 